Today we want to talk about Israel's desolation and Daniel's confession. Israel's desolation and Daniel's confession. <clears throat> and I'll read to you uh, verses 1 and 2, and then we'll get into our uh, lesson here tonight. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And so I want to look at this a little bit here. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I just ask you that you would just bless as we get into this lesson. I pray you would uh, teach us some practical things. And Lord, also help us understand a little bit more about what... Uh, what you were doing with Israel and the importance of that during that time and what that means for us today. I do pray, Lord, your blessing upon this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to look at uh, the 70 years of desolation. Uh, so this chapter, of course, we've been going through chapters uh, 7 and 8, dealing with the Gentile empires, but now we're heading back to Israel. And this is the reason why we're dealing with the Gentile empires is because Israel sinned. And that's why there was such a thing that was called the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles was ushered in because Israel lost dominion. Uh, they were supposed to be the ruling nation over the world. Uh, but because they turned to idols, the Lord had to take them out of the land and give the dominion back to the Gentile empires. And so that's why we, we have Babylon and Persia and Grecia and Rome, and of course, uh, one day it will be Israel once again during the millennial reign. Uh, but for now, he's giving us this insight here in chapter 9 into why it was that Israel was brought into captivity in the first place. And so that's what we're going to look at, the 70 years of desolation. And so letter A, Daniel understood the number of years by studying the books of Jeremiah in the first year of King Darius that's 539 B.C. And we, we already read that there. Uh, number one, Israel would be in servitude to Babylon for 70 years. That's the number that was chosen here. And that you can see in Jeremiah chapter 25. So Daniel uh, was studying the scripture and he came across Jeremiah, the books of Jeremiah, the writings of Jeremiah. Of course, it wasn't written in book like we have today. Uh, there would be, it would have been several scrolls and different things that he'd be studying through. But Jeremiah 25, verse 1, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the which Jeremiah the prophet spake unto all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me. And I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. Uh, Jeremiah had no converts. Amen. He, he made very little impact into the nation of Israel during his ministry. But what we did get from him were the prophecies of the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations as well. And then it goes on to say, And the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants, the prophets. And of course, um, let's move on here. Rising early and sending them, but ye have not hearkened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Turn ye again, 
Now every one from his evil way and from the evil of your doings and dwell in the land that the Lord hath given unto you and to your fathers forever and ever. And go not after other gods to serve them and to worship them and to provoke me not to anger with the works of your hands and I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me, saith the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and a perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And it shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah hath prophesied against all the nations. And so this is where Daniel got his insight into where they were within the dynamic of their captivity. And of course, Daniel realizes now we're getting close to the end of this captivity. All right, and so number two, the Lord chose 70 years in direct relation to the disobedience of Israel in neglecting to keep the land Sabbaths. So this is interesting because, well, I'll get into this. In 2 Chronicles 36, verse 21, it says this, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. So basically, they owed God some land Sabbaths here. And the Lord said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the land rest for 70 years because they owed God 70 years. And so he kept them, and that's why he was talking in the last passage about there will be no more sound of the millstone. That means they're not going to be getting any more crops in. It's going to be a desolate land, and so the Lord is going to get his. Isn't that amazing how, how, uh, how his judgments are so perfect and just? It wasn't just uh, some number he picked out of the hat here. Uh, it was something that was based on their disobedience and what they did. So Israel... Had, at this point, had been in the promised land for about 800 years. 490 of those years, they had forsaken the law of the Lord. So over half of that time, they weren't following God. <laughs> they were worshiping false idols. They weren't following the Sabbaths and so forth. So 490, interesting year, interesting number there, because that's also the number we're going to look at later when it comes to Daniel's 70-week prophecy. 490 years, all right? And so one-seventh of 490 years is 70 years. So they were supposed to let the land rest every year, every seventh year. And that seventh year, they were not supposed to plant and not supposed to plow, but let the land rejuvenate itself, all right? And that was the Lord's command. Um, number seven is the number of completion 
and perfection. So God is just in his dealings and his judgments are always righteous. And so it's interesting that he has the number sevens here within this. In Psalm 19, verse 9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Amen. And so, I mean, the Lord just proves it here that it's not too much, it's not too little, it is bang on. He is, he is requiring exactly the just amount of time for Israel. Uh, letter A, the Lord clearly commanded the keeping of the land Sabbaths before they entered the promised land. So this was given to them before they even entered the promised land. In Leviticus 25 verse 2 it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, and a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. And so this is what Israel neglected. They neglected to leave that seventh year. Can you imagine, you're looking at this seventh year, you're getting ready to get into this year, and the Lord says, don't do anything. That means no, no revenue coming in, no planting, no harvesting. That's a hard thing for people. In fact, many farmers even today understand that principle of letting the land rest every seventh year. It's good for the land. It actually rejuvenates it so that it produces more yield for the other six years. So you never fall behind by following God, amen? But it just teaches us, kind of like when God sent manna down from heaven for six days, and then on the sixth day he gave double and says, I don't want you to be collecting any on the seventh day. And so he's teaching them that principle even within the land Sabbaths, all right? And so very interesting stuff. The issue was, dis the, was the disobedience to the Lord, the evidence was the Lord was not sanctified in the eyes of the people. The Sabbath was a picture of Christ's finished work and perpetual rest we find in him. And that's why always the seventh, the number of perfection, the number of completion, is always picturing Jesus Christ, is always picturing his finished work on the cross of Calvary. And so what they did is they failed to sanctify the Lord in the eyes of the people. And that was a pretty serious thing, especially in the Old Testament. Remember um, uh, the sons of Aaron, their names are slipping me. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, is that the, the priests? Is that the, that the right one? I think it is. And they offered strange fire upon the, the altar of incense, and the Lord killed them for it. He said they simply used a fire from the wrong source to light the altar of incense because the fire was supposed to come off the brazen altar. The brazen altar is a picture of the, of the cross, of the judgment on Jesus Christ. The altar of incense was something that would uh, give forth incense within the temple as a picture of the perfect life or acceptation of Christ's life in the nostrils of God. <clears throat> so he'd smell that, he'd say, I'm satisfied. But now that they took fire from a different source, what they failed to do is sanctify that picture in the eyes of the people. And God thought that was serious enough to actually kill them on the spot. And Aaron lost two sons that day. 
simply for using the Yosei, their Bic lighter or whatever they used, you know, and not the fire off of the altar. Maybe for some reason there was no fire, maybe whatever. I don't know what the situation was. Uh, and that's not the only situation. Remember Moses, when Moses was um, supposed to speak to the rock and he smote it twice. And that's exactly what God said, because you failed to sanctify me in the eyes of the people. There's no power in the rock. There's no power in the speaking. But what it was is a picture to the people that it showed something that God wanted them to learn. That's the same thing with us. Our marriages sanctify God in the eyes of this world. Our baptism sanctifies God in the eyes of this world. Our Lord's Supper sanctifies God. Uh, the Lord in the eyes of the people. That's why all these things have to be done properly and decently because the Lord takes that seriously. <laughs> we don't use alcohol for, for, the, for the juice in, in the communion. Uh, we don't use uh, leavened bread. We use unleavened bread. All these things are important. Not that there's power in the leaven or the unleavened, but it's the fact of sanctifying God in the eyes of the people. Amen? And But nowadays, we're just like the children of Israel. Oh, well, what's a big deal? You know, it's not such a big deal. We just keep on going. They went on for 490 years without a problem, you know. But that's where we are today as Christians, doing that same thing, where it no longer matters what we're, the picture that we're giving to the world in our local churches, and the things that the Lord has asked us to do. That's why we got to be sticklers. And that's why a biblical church has a biblical stand. And some of those things are tougher than a lot of the liberal churches out there. The liberal churches don't care. I remember uh, James Dobson. Um, uh, what's his radio program? Family something. Focus on the family. He, he had some young people, and they did communion on the beach with potato chips and Coke. To them, it wasn't a big deal. Oh, they thought it was the most spiritual thing in the world. <laughs> But that's not sanctifying the Lord God in the eyes of the people. That I would never do that. <laughs> that's, that's an abomination in my eyes, man. I would never do that. That's why even when we do ours here, we make sure we even bake it ourselves, the unleavened bread. And we make sure it's pure grape juice that we use for our communion. Amen? And not only that, but it's also the communion of the body. If we're going to get involved in, in, in uh, having communion together, that means that we ought to be in communion. There ought to be nothing between us. And if we can partake, not discerning the Lord's body, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, many among you are sickly and many sleep because you did not discern the Lord's body. That means he took some people home because they ruined the picture of the communion in the body of Christ. Isn't that something? And that's no local New Testament church. <laughs> That's not Old Testament, <laughs> that's New Testament. And so that's why I'm such a stickler, and I get a lot of heat for it sometimes. So Israel neglected to obey the Lord and keep the land Sabbaths and so forth. They didn't sanctify the Lord uh, in the eyes of the people. Uh, letter B, God told Israel the consequences if they chose not to obey his command about the Sabbath. Leviticus 26, it says this, And I will scatter you among the heathen, you and your land, then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate and be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. 
As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbath when you dwelt upon it. Wow, that's pretty serious stuff. He sends his huge army to destroy their whole city, many people killed, brought into captivity, simply because they didn't listen to that particular truth. Now, that's just an evidence. It was an evidence of a disobedient heart. In other words, that wasn't the only wrong thing they were doing. But that was something that was an evidence to the Lord and to all the people. See, you're not letting it rest. That's because there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong in your heart. Amen? So it was an evidence, and the Lord says, because this evidence is here, everybody can see that what I'm doing is just and right. And I'm dealing with you according to Scripture. And so you can be sure the Lord, when he gave Leviticus, knew exactly what was going to happen. <laughs> Amen? And he's given them exact uh, prescription for what's going to happen in the near future. All right? Uh, Proverbs 1, verse 28, it says this, Then they shall call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Amen? The fear of the Lord is understanding that as useless as you think, certain things are in the scripture, because you know God is a real God, you give that attention. That's important to you. Because if we don't fear God, we're going to start nitpicking whatever we want to obey in the scripture. This is important. This isn't important. But if we truly have the fear of the Lord, then we won't hate knowledge. That means then people won't be, you know, say, hey, you know, the Bible says, oh, that's not a big deal. That's called hating knowledge. <laughs> oh, we don't need to learn about that. That's hating knowledge. <laughs> Amen. Loving knowledge is saying, give it to me. I want to learn it. I want to obey it. <laughs> hating knowledge is plugging the ears. <laughs> I don't want to hear it, you know. And so Proverbs 2, verse 1 to 6, these Proverbs are great this way. It says in verse 1, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So what is it going to take for the church of Christ to fear the Lord again? It's going to take people that cry and seek for the knowledge of the word of God. That means as long as we are lackadaisical in our view of the scripture or the, the place that scripture has in our life, we will never fear the Lord and will always be in danger of the Lord's chastisement over and over and over again because we're not giving ourselves to the scriptures we're, we don't care we don't want knowledge we don't want to know what's the big deal land sabbath every seventh year you know i'm sure that was the thing ha everything's going just the way it always has right it's a big deal to god because even though 490 years went by the hammer came down and even though you think you're getting away with it ultimately the time will come the time will come, folks. Be sure your sin will always find you out, the Bible says. It's never, you'll never get away with it. Amen? And so that's why we ought to fear God, knowing that. That verse itself ought to say, you know what? Hey, let's just do what the Bible says. Because <laughs> if I continue in my sin, it is going to have a cost on my life. And I don't want that. 
Amen? And so we learn to fear God and obey the word of God. Amen? Good lesson for us. Number three, Daniel discovered the Lord would visit them and fulfill his covenant to Israel. And so in Jeremiah 29, verse number 10, so he's talking about the time of desolation, but now he starts talking about the time of restoration. He says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. That's a long wait to visit, <laughs> 70 years before he visited, and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Doesn't that sound good? And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. Daniel's taking this seriously now. Daniel's thinking about this. He's saying, you know what? The Lord's about to visit us. And the Lord is telling us that we ought to seek and pray and do it with all of our hearts. Daniel's taking this in. He's taking it in deep. That he ain't just playing with the scriptures here. He's reading it and he's making it a part of his heart. And we'll see that directly after this. And it says, And I will be found of you, saith the Lord, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So that word accomplished, when those 70 years are accomplished, that means to be full of or to be expired at the end of. So there's a time when it's accomplished. The chastisement is done. The punishment is over. <laughs> Amen. And that's when the Lord visits the people of Israel. So judgment is sure, but so is God's deliverance. Sometimes we must endure the consequences of our foolish decisions, but the Lord does not forsake us. There is always a way back for God. Amen? Always, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how rotten your life has been, there is always a way back. There's always a way back. There's always a time where it's accomplished. Amen? As long as we seek the Lord, he will turn away that captivity and he will bring us back to himself. And that's a good message. Amen? That's good for us. Letter B, Daniel understood the inspiration of Jeremiah's prophecies. The inspiration. Now, Daniel 9, verse 2, it says this. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years where the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolations of Jerusalem. Number one, Daniel received the prophecy as the word of the Lord. Amen? Think about this. When Daniel read this, he's saying, you know what? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. That's what I was reading. The word of the Lord. Amen? There was no question with him. So Daniel received the prophecy as the word of the Lord. The first verse that just stuck out to me as I thought about that was 1 Thessalonians 2.13. It says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Amen? So he, that is, that's a New Testament passage there for us. That's for us today. We're supposed to look at the scriptures not as the word of men, 
How many times you get people saying, oh, you know, God can't preserve his word or, you know, it's, you know, it's been tainted over the years. Well, that's because you're looking at it as the word of man, <laughs> you know. But if you look at it and believe it for what it is as the word of God, the Bible says it will effectually work also in you that believe, that believe. When you believe that and you believe it's God's word and you obey God's word, that word works in you, amen? And so Daniel had that same philosophy many, many years before. So this is how we must all see the Bible. Number two, Daniel had the inspired scriptures, yet he did not have the original manuscripts, amen? He didn't have the originals. This is very interesting. You know, we know in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. If it's not scripture, it's not inspired. And if it's scripture, it is inspired. If it's called scripture, it has to be inspired. <laughs> Amen. God breathed is what that word means there. Now letter A, the king burned and cut up the only copy of Jeremiah's prophecy. Think about this in Jeremiah. This is what took place. Jeremiah 36, verse 20. And they went into the court, king into the court, because uh, they read Jeremiah's uh, prophecy, and they were, just they were just blown away. They saw, oh my goodness, we got to tell the king this, <laughs> you know? But they laid up the roll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the ears of the king. So the king sent Jehudai to fetch the roll, and he took it out of Elishama's, the scribe's chamber, and Jehudai read it in the ears of the king and in the ears of all the princes which stood beside the king. Now the king sat in the winter house in the ninth month, and there was a fire on the hearth burning before him. And it came to pass that when Jehudai had read three or four leaves, he cut it with the penknife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the, all the roll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor rent their garments, neither the king nor any of his servants that heard all of these words. So they, they had no fear of God. And so they had the scriptures, the only copy that Jeremiah wrote right in their hands, they cut it up and they burned it. That was the original manuscript. <laughs> Amen. That was it. Now, letter B, the Lord brought his word back to the king. Destroying the copies did not change God's ability to preserve his word. All right? We see this in Jeremiah 36, verse 27. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah... After that, the king had burned the roll and the words which Baruch wrote at the mouth of Jeremiah saying, take thee again another roll and write in it all the former words that were in the first roll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, hath burned. And thou shalt say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, thus saith the Lord, thou hast burned this roll, saying, why, why hast thou, thou written therein, saying, the king of Babylon shall certainly come and destroy this land and shall cause to cease from thence man and beast. And so basically, why did the king destroy that manuscript? Because he had a bad prophecy coming. Babylon was coming. He thought if he ripped up the Bible, somehow Babylon wouldn't come. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But you know what God did? He got him another roll. 
and it said the same thing on it. You can burn this one too, but I'm going to keep on giving you <laughs> the word of God, you know? Interesting. Because in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. In Psalm 12, verse 1 to 7, it says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who hath said with our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Amen. So there is no destroying the word of God. I don't care. Voltaire was a famous atheist, and he spent his life trying to destroy the word of God. He said that within his lifetime, that there was going to be no more Bibles left on the earth. And he printed volumes of books attacking the word of God. When he died, they sold his home and his printing press. You know who bought it? People that printed the Bible on it. So his very printing press that he said he was going to destroy all Bibles became the printing press for the word of God. <laughs> Amen. Because you can't destroy it. He'll, he'll preserve it. And that's why the Bible says, I think I missed a, a verse there. It says, though the vilest men be exalted, though the, oh, what is that? I've got to turn there. Psalm 12. I'm going to go quick. <laughs> I guess I must not have put in the last verse. So it says here, the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. What's one of the major arguments that people say, well, why we don't have a perfect Bible? Oh, because people are so wicked. The Bible says, though the vilest of men will be exalted, I will still preserve my word. Yeah. Amen? That's what he did with Jeremiah. Told us right there, <laughs> you know? And the king burned it up, cut it up. God says, that ain't gonna do nothing. I'm gonna give you another one. The exact words, but then he also, like in letter C, it's a Jeremiah rewrote all the words of the first roll but with the added words the Lord gave him. So, so uh, the king got himself in the scriptures here. He's got a forever bad testimony that he wrote down in there. If he would have not burned it, it wouldn't have been in there. Amen? But then it says in 36 verse 32, Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words. Amen? So the second roll had more words than the first roll. Because he's God. He can do that. <laughs> Amen? If you start rewriting the Bible and there's more words, that's a problem. <laughs> but God does it. There's a reason for it. And so he added what the king did. He added these things that about him burning the first roll and so forth. Yet, it's God's word. He had it all there. There's no overcoming that. Amen? All right. So, Daniel had a good view of the word of God. He had the fear of the Lord. 
He was seeking with all of his heart. He was praying. He was saying, Lord, I want the truth. He knew the, the, what the scripture said about the 70 years. He knew about the time that the Lord was going to visit them and deliver them from the captivity. He says, if you seek me with your whole heart, so what would a good godly man do? Seek him with his whole heart. And you see that coming up right next here. And number two, Daniel's true confession. You see that Daniel 9, 3 to 19. There are really four requirements for true confession uh, for us. And Daniel has all four of these elements in this particular prayer. The first one, letter A, humility before the Lord. Daniel sought the Lord in prayer through fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. All right? So this is important. It says in verse number three, And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Verse 13, I'm going down a little bit. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before our Lord, our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. So later on in his prayer, he is telling God, this is what's going on here. We're not coming to you and talking to you and getting you to help us turn from our iniquities and then also understand the truth of the word of God. We need to pray for that to happen. And that was a part of their sin. Part of their sin was a failure to pray for, to turn from their sins and understand the truth. And so he set his face to talk to God and he fasted and prayed and 1 Peter 5, verse 5, it says this, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So the clothing of humility. What is the clothing of humility? I mean, we, now it's an aspect of us coming before the Lord or even becoming before our authorities or the people of the church or our wife or our husband with a, with a lowly heart. <laughs> Amen? A lowly heart. That is just like putting on sackcloth and ashes. See, a lot of people talk about fasting, but fasting without humility is powerless. What is not eating? <laughs> that is nothing without humility. <laughs> the fasting has to be coupled with the clothing of humility. Be clothed with humility, the sackcloth and the ashes. Now, I know guys that actually literally, when they fast, they will put sackcloth on. <laughs> and they're not playing games here. The one time he did it for seven days, and he had nothing, no food, nor water. <laughs> then he realized that he needed to have some water because you're not supposed to go more than seven days without water. <laughs> I mean, you can die, so don't ever do that, all right? So he figured that out. <laughs> But, you know, being clothed with humility is not putting on sackcloth. It's, it's, it's having a lowly heart. That's a, an important aspect to come before the Lord in prayer. And that's what Daniel had as he went before the Lord here. So fasting from food is not the key to answered prayer before the Lord. Humility is. We cannot think that not eating food gets the attention of God. It is lowliness of heart and putting him first and desiring his heart for people. And we see that there in Isaiah 58, verse 3. So 
I'll read this. Isaiah 58, verse 3, it says, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. That means what you're doing is you're not getting your voice heard, even though you're fasting. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Even that in itself is just a show. So he says, is not, and then it says, um, is, is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou shalt seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break, break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rear reward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here, am, here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. In other words, why are you doing what you're doing? Is it a show? <laughs> Is it just not eating? <laughs> he says, you know why we're doing this? To break the bands of sin for people. To help people that are suffering and hurting. <laughs> it's about others. <laughs> If we're fasting, it's, it's not about others. It's not about the Lord doing a work in the hearts of people and breaking the bonds of wickedness in people's lives. Then what are we really doing? It's just a religious show. <laughs> Amen? Daniel is praying. He's fasting. What is he fasting for? For a, for a liberty from captivity. Amen? We want to fast. Let's pray for people that they can defeat their sin. They can overcome these things that have been keeping them held down for years and years or whatever. Amen? Let's get serious about these things. That's what Daniel's doing. That passage is really good. So humility is a, is a key issue. And that's what he pictured by putting on the sackcloth and ashes, that humble, that lowliness of heart, as he was calling out to the Lord for, for those that are in captivity. Letter B is honesty about sin. Honesty about sin. So Daniel acknowledges and confesses the sin of Israel to the Lord. Verse 4 to 10. It says, And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. So he knew who God was. We have sinned. It's his first statement. We have sinned. And he puts himself in that. He didn't say they have sinned. He was putting himself in the prayer with the people. He's saying, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in, the, in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. 
O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So he is pretty well being honest about what they've been doing. <laughs> Amen. They've been disobeying. Uh, so they sinned. That means they missed the mark. They committed iniquity. The word iniquity means to bend or to twist or distort the truth. They had done wickedly. They disturbed or violated. They made trouble. They vexed people. Uh, they rebelled, departing from the God's precepts and judgments. That's where rebellion is. Rebellion is not, no longer listening and obeying God and doing your own thing. They didn't hearken to the prophets. They wouldn't listen to the preaching anymore. They wouldn't listen to the preacher. They shut down the preacher's voice, and they had all kinds of criticisms about him. Amen? They trespassed. That means they had treachery and falsehood in their life. Uh, they transgressed the law. That means they crossed over. Instead of obeying it and, and giving heed to it, they just ignored it. Failure to pray, to turn from iniquities and understand the truth. So all these different things, David is actually admit, or Daniel is actually admitting in this prayer. He has honesty about the sin. So if we're truly confessing humility and honesty, amen, you got to be honest about the sin that you've committed. Number, letter C, acceptance of consequence. Notice in verse 11 to 15. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done, as hath been done upon Jerusalem." As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now... O Lord God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renown as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. So number one, the curse was poured upon us. So it was an acceptance. This curse was rightly given to us, God. We deserve the curse. That's what he's saying. It's poured upon us. Number two, God's words are confirmed. That means that they are clear. They are accomplished. They're exactly what he said in his word. He is just. What he said was right. Amen. We're not complaining here. We're not saying that, hey, you didn't tell us you were going to do this. No, you've confirmed your word in the judgment against us. Amen. And that's the way we have to be. We have, you know, many people, if we would just look at our lives when we're going through these things and say, you know what? The reason why I'm going through this is because I have sinned and I haven't been turning back to God. If we would just say, you know what, the Bible told us that if I, if I sow unto the flesh, I will reap of the flesh corruption. 
See, that's being honest about the sin, and then it's accepting the fact of the consequence. But many people, they, they sin, then they have the consequence, and then most of their, their uh, sorrow doesn't come from the sin, it comes from the consequence. Just like Cain, Cain and Abel. Cain wasn't sorrowing over his brother and the blood of his brother. He was sorrowing because the punishment that God gave him was more than he could bear. <laughs> After slaying his brother with a rock or whatever he did on the ground. I'll tell you something. We have to come to reality about this. If there are consequences, we have to accept that. We have to accept those consequences. Letter three, evil is come upon us. One of the Israelites, Israel's sins before Jerusalem was destroyed, um, before Jerusalem was destroyed, was not to submit to God's chastisement. Zedekiah rebelled against the Lord when the Lord brought Babylon to deal with Israel concerning their idol worship and disobedience. And in Jeremiah 21, this is when it was happening, Jeremiah was prophesying during this time, and unto this people thou shalt say, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. <laughs> he that abideth in this city shall die by the sword and by famine and by pestilence. But he that goeth out and falleth to the Chaldeans that besiege you, he shall live and his life shall be unto him for a prey. For I have set my face against this city for evil and not for good, saith the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. That means if these people aren't willing to submit themselves to the chastisement of God, because he brought Nebuchadnezzar to Jerusalem. He intended to burn it down. And he says, if you guys stay there, you will die. So I set before you life and death. You can submit to the chastisement or you can rebel against it. But if you rebel against a chastisement, you will die. If you submit to it and put yourselves in the hand of the Chaldeans that I have sent to you, you're going to live. <laughs> it's going to be difficult, but you'll live. Amen? And many times that's the way it is. There's chastisement on our life. There's things that God is doing and bringing us to a place of submission. <laughs> and if you submit... He says, you'll live. It'll be better. You'll grow. He says, it'll bring forth the peaceable fruits of righteousness. It says in Hebrews chapter 12. Amen? Good stuff. Proverbs 3, this is a great passage here, verse 11. It says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. That means don't think little when the Lord is chastising your life. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is a man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. You know, there's not a person in this room that God is not correcting. There's not a person in this room. Oh, no, he doesn't chastise me. Well, then you're lost. <laughs> Amen. Because I'm going to tell you something. You are not where God ultimately wants you to be. So he will constantly correct, constantly chastise. It's not for you to look at other people. Oh, yeah, look at God. No, no, look at yourself. Because if you're not 
watching it. You just may miss the fact that you are under the chastising hand of God and he wants to bring you to a place of a better life. He says, it's better than to allow my chastising to take place than for you to get all the merchandise of silver. (laughs) Don't miss it. It's not a negative thing. It's actually positive. God is constantly chastising us. And if you can't look back at a month of your life and see how God has done something to straighten you out, then you've got to wonder whether you're saved or not. Sometimes he uses your parents for that. Sometimes he uses your pastors for that. Sometimes he uses situations for that. Sometimes there's a blown tire for that. Sometimes there's a blown engine for that. <laughs> Sometimes there's a burnt down shed for that. I don't know what God will do. He can do whatever he wants. Amen? Sometimes there's a sickness. Sometimes we go to the hospital. Oh, I don't like it here. Hey, God allowed it. He's constantly correcting you. You, not the person next to you. You, amen. Think about that. Constantly doing that because he knows that he wants you to produce something of great value in your life. It says she is more precious than rubies and all of the things Thou canst desire and not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand, riches and honor. So if I allow chastisement to take place and learn from the wisdom of that, it'll add to my life, and it'll also bring me riches and honor. Think about that. Then it goes on to say, Her ways are the ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them, that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Amen? So we should never despise the chastening of the Lord. And he should be chasing us all the time because we are in need of it. Every last one in this room. I've met no perfect people in this room yet. Y'all got problems. When I got into ministry, I thought, maybe there's somebody with problems I can help. (laughs) Then in the first month, I realized everybody's got problems, including the preacher. We all got problems. You all got issues. And you know what? If you're saved, God is dealing with them constantly. Amen? And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's something we should despise or be weary of, is what the scriptures say. Letter D. Acknowledging the basis of forgiveness. This is his last section here. So why should he do this? Why should God forgive us? Why should he deliver us from the captivity? Oh, God, because I'm, I'm tired of this. Well, sorry, wrong answer. <laughs> wrong answer. That's not the way you, you, you approach God. Look at what Daniel says. O Lord, in verse 16, according to all thy righteousness I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. In other words, we're in such a position here because of our sin that we have blasphemed your name. So do this, he he says, for your righteousness, not for us, not because we're something. We're just dirty dogs. We're just sinners, right? Then it goes on to say, now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant, and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. 
O my God, incline thine ear and hear and open thine eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by my, thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. Amen. So, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Those three things, very important. So the first thing is according to God's righteousness. Forgiveness is not based in your right way. It's based in God's right way. <laughs> what God wants to do. His plan. Amen. You're, you're not coming to God because you want to do what you want to do. You're saying, Lord, deliver us so that you can work out your plan in my life. What you want to do. What you're trying to glorify in this situation. But many times we confess our sins so we can just be free of all the consequence so we can go about doing what we want to do again. <laughs> and we're thinking God's somehow going to answer that. He's got you there because he wanted to turn you towards him. He's not going to just <laughs> bend just so you can go do your own thing again. Do it for his righteousness sake. For his right way. Do it his way. Um, Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the day is come, say the Lord, that will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In Deuteronomy 9, 4. Speak not thou in thine heart. After that, the Lord thy God hath cast them up before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess the land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. So here they go into the promised land. They're saying, oh, look, we're so great. This is why the Lord's beating all these enemies for us. The Lord says, this is because of you. This is because you're good. <laughs> I'm not defeating these enemies because you're righteous. I'm defeating them because they're wicked. Amen? But they're all pumped up. Oh, look at me. No, 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 look at you. <laughs> There's nothing in you. There's no righteousness in you. It's not about you. Your, your deliverance has nothing to do with you and what you want to do. It has everything to do with what God's plan and what he's trying to accomplish, amen? And when we get to that place in our life where we finally realize, Lord, I confess this. Lord, I'm trying to be honest before you. I accept the consequence. And Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. <laughs> then, he says, I will bring out, take you out of the captivity. Amen? Why would he release you just so you can go and do your own thing? <laughs> and just repeat the process. <laughs> See, Israel, after that 70 years, after that captivity was done, they never worshipped idols again. To this day. <laughs> Thousands of years later, not once have they turned to idols. Even though the Grecian kingdom came in, and remember how they, uh, well, they even Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a uh, wicked king that came. He would offer pigs on the altar of the, of, of the temple. Pigs in sacrilege and abomination before God, <laughs> you know. Wow, just wicked, wicked, wicked. <laughs> Number two, 
God's great mercy. I don't know where I was going with that. I'm moving on. <laughs> I had something I was going to say and I just forgot. All right, so God's great mercy. We must lean on the mercy of God always in confession. There must be complete acknowledgement of guilt and acceptance of judgment for God's mercy to be secured. Yes, Lord, I am guilty. Yes, Lord, I deserve this. Yes, Lord, I need your mercy today. It's all mercy. It's not because I'm any good. I'm bad. But Lord, give me your mercy. In Psalm 13, verse 5, it says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Number three, for his own sake, so that the Lord gets glorified, not ourselves and our confession and our deliverance. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. Also for God's city, the city that would be the ruling city and the hub of power in the future, the city of peace inhabited by the people of peace, restored back to God and his purpose. Do it for your city, God. <laughs> Amen? Because Jerusalem was supposed to be a, a capital. I mean, Jesus Christ is going to set up his rule within the city of Jerusalem for 1,000 years. Bring us back from captivity for thy city's sake, for your sake. <laughs> then he goes on to say, number five, for the people that are called by his name. Not just for the people, but for the people that are called by your name. That means as long as we're singing captivity as God's people, we are a reproach to your name. But if you will set us free, if you'll bring us back, if you'll put peace back in our hearts, if you'll get us back in the will of God, Lord, everybody will see that we are your people and how great of a God you are. Amen? That's why he confessed. <laughs> you see, we need to acknowledge this. We need to be humble. We need to be honest. We need to acknowledge the consequence. But we need to also acknowledge the basis of our forgiveness. Why does he want to forgive you? Well, just because I'm going to do what I want to do. No. Start thinking right about that. And it may just be if we start thinking for the Lord's sake that he may bring us out of all of our captivity. Well, I'm trying to quit this smoking. <laughs> Something small like that, quit smoking. Do you know that he wants to use that for his honor and glory? He will free you from that captivity if you will do it for his sake. That's when the Lord gave me freedom. <laughs> when finally I did it because I wanted to have a relationship with the Lord. I was tired of not having a walk with God. And then the Lord took it. And I'm, I'm talking one day it was gone. <laughs> because I had the right acknowledgement of the basis for my forgiveness. <laughs> he says, because you want to walk with me, I will release you from captivity. Isn't that great? <laughs> Amen.